Well, please grab your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter one, and we'll uh, start reading here in just a moment in verse number 26, Luke one and verse 26. It is wonderful to be here with you today. Uh, my wife is down here, and my kids are somewhere. That's how we felt the first time we came here. Um, our kids are somewhere, and we'll find them afterwards, but uh, it's wonderful to be here with you today. I appreciate Pastor Chad and his investment in my life and his, uh, him giving me the opportunity to, to speak to you today. I wanna welcome all those who are joining us online. Uh, we're thankful for you, appreciate you tuning in. And of course, uh, down the hall at the venue service and then out at Reach Church DeSoto, we uh, love you. We are missing you today, but look forward to being back next week. And I want to encourage you uh, to be reminded about Friend Day next week out at Reach Church DeSoto. We're having a special Sunday next Sunday uh, called Share the Joy of Christmas Friend Day. We've encouraged uh, our folks to intentionally pray for and bring someone with them to church next week, maybe a coworker or a family member or a neighbor. And uh, you know, it'd be a great opportunity for some of you to get out to reach church next week as well. I know many of you have been um, wondering how things are going and have not had a chance to come out and worship with us. Next week would be a great opportunity, so I wanna extend that invitation to you next week. Come be my friend, all right? We'd really appreciate that. Well, this morning kicks off the first of several Christmas messages that we're gonna hear this month from the Gospel of, of Luke. And I wanna encourage you this morning, right off the bat, just as Pastor Chad has encouraged us through the book of Samuel, to really approach these texts this month uh, with fresh eyes and with an open heart. I wanna encourage you to, to read these verses like it's the very first time you're encountering them. In these scriptures, we will rediscover the unbelievable truth that God came to be with us. The book of John says the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father and it was full of grace and truth. My prayer for myself this morning and for this month and for our congregation is that we would see once again the glory of God at work in his church and throughout the world, and most importantly, in our hearts and in our lives. Let's pray to that end this morning before we begin. God, we do humbly ask now, Lord, that you would open the eyes of our heart to receive, that God, your spirit would go forth in power and in strength, and that, Lord, you would give us exactly what we need from your word today Lord, we know it's alive. We know it's active and it's powerful. And God, I pray that you would pierce through uh, the outskirts of our hearts to give us exactly what we need from you. God, we need to hear from you today. God, we don't need man's words. We don't need man's wisdom. Lord, we need the ever-living word of God. And I pray that you would help it to go out into these chairs today out into whomever might be listening, that God, they would hear from you and see your glory at work. It's in Christ's name that we ask these things. Amen. Well, it's wonderful just to circle around God's word this morning, and I want to encourage you to join with me. We're just gonna walk verse by verse through verse 26 down, eventually through verse 38, but join me in reading just verse 26 and 27 this morning 
initially. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. You know, one of the things that we have seen so clearly as we've been walking verse by verse and chapter by chapter through Samuel is we have seen the the indisputed sovereignty and providence of God that's at work in the lives of his creation. The providence of God reminds us that there are no accidents, that God intervenes at the exact right time with the exact right people and in the exact right places. And we find that the providence of God is just laced in these first two verses. It was in the sixth month. This is six months after Elizabeth has miraculously conceived John. You know, John will be the forerunner of Christ. It only makes sense that Elizabeth would bear John first because John was meant to go before Christ. But we find that after 400 years of silence, God starts putting things into motion and it's in the sixth month that he sends word to Mary. You know, the faithful remnant of Israel had been waiting in hopeful anticipation for the arrival of the Savior. And as Gabriel sends Mary, we are remi- uh, as God sends Gabriel to Mary, we are reminded that God has his messengers, doesn't he? God has his messengers. Here, it's an angel. Today, God speaks to us through his spirit and through his word, but also through spirit-filled people. But remember this, without the command of God, angels don't move. So shouldn't we. I, I wanna, you know, just say a word of testimony here that there's been some amazing spirit-filled men and women in my life who have spoken a word of truth at the exact right moment that I needed it. And I believe that God would have his church to go out today and to be spirit-filled men and women who are bold enough to, to speak and to act and to move when God tells you to, according to his word. But make sure he's leading you. And if he's not, we as God's faithful people, we don't move. God, he sent Gabriel to Mary. And it was to a city, look, look at the last part of verse number 26, to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. You know, the word city here is a little bit misleading. It's not a city like we think of today. You know, it's not a, a Lenexa city center or a Kansas city. The, the word here is really just used to refer to a population center as opposed to a rural area, uh, no matter what the size of the city. Many believe that Nazareth was no more than one or 200 people. It was very small. It was insignificant, and it was obscure. It was not on any of the major trade routes. In fact, important roads just bypassed Nazareth. It was off the beaten path. And it's in this setting that we find God doing his most amazing work through a young lady named Mary. The Bible said she was a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David and the virgin's name was Mary. We don't know much about her up to this point, but we do know she's engaged to Joseph who was a carpenter. We know that Joseph was one of the descendants of David and he was a righteous man 
according to Matthew chapter one and verse 19. We know Mary was pure. Even though Mary and Joseph were betrothed, they were not yet fully married. They had not consummated the marriage and they were still in that betrothal period and we find them to be pure. We know that Mary was a virgin and that she had favor with God. And in God's choice of Mary and Joseph as parents for Jesus, not only do we see God's providence at work, but we see prophecy fulfilled. In Isaiah chapter seven and verse 14, as Pastor Steve shared this verse yesterday with us, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. You know, the virgin birth of Jesus is foundational to Christianity. There's no other way that you can explain how he was fully God and yet fully man. So to deny the virgin birth or try to circumvent it or explain it or work around it is to find the very foundations of Christianity crumbling beneath you. Not only was it prophesied he would be virgin born, but it was prophesied he would be a descendant of David. In the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel chapter 7, the Bible says, when your days are complete, David, you will lie down with your fathers and I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom forever. Jeremiah 23, 5, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. You know, Matthew's genealogy traces Christ's lineage through, through Joseph, showing that he was truly a descendant of David and he had claim to the throne of David through Joseph, through being Joseph's heir. Not only do we see the wonderful providence of God, not only do we see prophecy fulfilled, but we see a promise made to Mary here in these next verses. Look with me in verse 28. And coming in, Gabriel said to her, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation it was. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall name him Jesus. And he will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. You know, God's messenger makes a promise here to Mary. You're gonna conceive in your womb without man, and you're gonna bear a son. But notice how God chooses to communicate with her before he makes this promise. Do you see it? He comes in through Gabriel, and he says, you are favored. He calls her favored one. This means that, that Mary was just a recipient of grace. To be favored by God is to be a recipient of his grace. He's saying, what I'm gonna do through you, Mary, it isn't because you are intrinsically worthy, but rather because you are a recipient of the grace which I will pour out on you. And that's good news for you and me today. That Mary wasn't, intrinsically worthy, she was just a recipient of God's grace, which made her fa to be favored. And then secondly, the angel says, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. And this, this is big because it speaks of God's enabling 
uh, enablement of Mary because of his presence with her. You know, God with us, Emmanuel, it's what makes the difference in our lives. You remember in the book of Judges, when God comes to Gideon, well before God tells him what he's going to do, well before God takes that army of tens of thousands and narrows it down to 300, way before he goes out to, to, to defeat the Midianites and the Malachites, God encounters him at work in that field, and he says, the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. The Lord with us makes all the difference. And he says, you're favored, the Lord is with you. And then he goes in to speak this promise over her life. Mary realized she was a sinner, and God only gives grace to sinners. We've gotta get this right about Mary. She was a sinner just like any of us. And I think that we see her being confused and perplexed because she understood this. You know, it's not just the fact that an angel appeared to Mary. I know miracles were rare and angelic sightings were rare, but that's not what's got her confused. What's got her the most perplexed is that she realized her own unworthiness. But isn't it good news today that God isn't looking for people who are worthy enough? God is looking for people who are faithful, who he can entrust with his divine plans that they will, they will carry it out in faithfulness. You don't have to be good enough or worthy enough today to receive grace from God, to have him do something powerful and mighty through you. What you do have to do, though, is be committed to faithfulness. You know, we never feel, just personally, I never feel my humanity more than when God wants to do something through me. Why? Because I know I'm a sinner, and I feel prone to mess it up, and I, I have this battle between my flesh and the spirit and between what's right and what's wrong, and we all face this. And when God, listen, it's why so many folks are content to sit on the sidelines. Because when we really get involved and, and, and trust God to go out on the limb for him, we feel to our deepest core that we are unworthy. But this does not scare God. And a truth I want you to know is that even though you'll never feel more unworthy, you'll never feel God's presence greater than when you go out with him. Because he's with you. Because he empowers you. And then look, you know, in this confusion... Look at verse 31. In this shock of Mary, verse 30, the, the angel says, do not be afraid. Verse 30, the angel says, do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And, and you know, I can understand why she's prone to fear. Because I am. And we are. But what you read over and over and over again is that believers and God's faithful children need not fear in his presence. We need only trust. And so verse 31, behold, you will conceive in your womb and you will bear a son, and then look at this, you shall name him Jesus. You know, I wonder if this is the part where it really starts to sink in with Mary because the name Jesus means Yahweh saves. You know, again, Mary would have known the Old Testament prophecy. She was part of the faithful remnant waiting for the Savior to come into the world. And I think she's starting to understand. I'm a virgin. My child's name is going to be Yahweh saves. In this, God introduces the purpose of his son's work 
through the name, he would come to seek and to save that which was lost. This is a beautiful uh, announcement. And then Gabriel told Mary that your son will be great. And I think that's probably the, 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 the understatement, the greatest understatement in the history of the world, isn't it? Jesus would be great. Of course he would. In fact, Jesus will define what is great. We could go around the room this morning. We could ask you for what adjective or, or what synonym, what superlative would you put in place of great? And none of them would be adequate. They all would be true, but none of them would be adequate. I want to encourage you this morning, though, to take that next step in your spiritual journey or maybe revive what you know to be true about Jesus. Not only is he, is he great conceptually, not only is he, is he lifted high as great by the church, but this morning Jesus must be celebrated as great in your own personal life and experience. I'm here to tell you today that Jesus isn't just great because people say he is. He's great because I have experienced that greatness in my life. I have seen him pull me from the, from the, the pit of sin and, and save me and set me on a firm foundation. See, he's great to me experientially. God has shown me that his word is true through the saving power of Jesus at work in my life. And this Christmas, we do ourselves a disservice if we don't come to the realization once again that Jesus, yes, he's great for the whole world, but he's great for me today. And he's given me what I need for today. Jesus is great. He will define great. And I think worshiping believers, are we're, we're always aware that there's no language that could do this justice. No language could adequately express our honor and glory for who Jesus is to us. And that's why sometimes the most truest form of worship, the most authentic form of praise is when there are no words at all. You ever been there? In the presence of the Lord and he's taken you through a great trial or he's done some amazing blessing in your life or you've just meditated on a passage of scripture that has come alive to you and gripped your heart and you don't know what to say. All you can do is rest in his presence. I think that honors the Lord because sometimes words just won't do it. Jesus is great because he shares in God's glory. He is the son of the most high according to verse number 32. You know, Hebrews says that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature. Don't you love that? We can know God by knowing Jesus. We can see God for seeing Jesus. In John chapter 14, Jesus had once again just delivered the news to his disciples that he had to leave. And he had to go do the work that he was sent for and that he would be gone for a while. But then he promises that he would come back. He promises that he would go to, to prepare a place for them and that afterward would, would return that way they could be together once again. And you remember what Philip said at the conclusion of this statement by Christ. Philip says this to Jesus. He says, and that, I'll, 
all that you said is nice and everything. That's a paraphrase. He said, show us the Father, and then we'll believe. He says, show us the Father, and then we'll, and you remember what Jesus said? John chapter 14 and verse 9, Jesus says to Philip, have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. To know Jesus is to know God. They share in glory and they share in nature. And all this announcement, all that the angel is saying to Mary, it leaves her with some perplexity. We can understand that. In verse number 29, the Bible says she was perplexed. And then in verse 34, we see this honest, um, just raw question in faith, okay? Verse 34 is a question asked in faith by someone who's believing in what God is saying but just can't quite quantify how it's all gonna work out. You ever been there? Look at verse 34. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? How can this be? How will this be is what she's asking. You see, Mary, overwhelmed by the implications of this announcement, she wonders how it's gonna be practically implemented because she understands that the angel's saying you're gonna have a child without knowing a man. And she understands the, the laws of nature. And Mary's question does not reflect doubt or distrust. I believe she really believed what Gabriel told her. She just didn't understand how it was gonna happen. She goes, I believe, Lord, but show me how. You ever been there? Has God ever spoken something into your life or through his word called you to go out and do something for him? Has God ever gotten involved in your story and, and, and pivoted you or asked you to leave something behind or press towards something new and you're left with a belief, yes, God, I will do this. You're gonna be obedient. But you ever left with that big question, God, I just, how are you gonna do this? God, I believe, but help me to see how. And those aren't bad questions if asked in faith. You see, Zechariah Previous to this, he, he just didn't believe. And God muted him. God took away his ability to speak because of his disbelief. Here we see Mary reaching out in trust and in faith, but she's just needing a little bit of explanation. And if you have kids in the room, you know what it's like to have to provide a little bit of explanation. And I believe that the Lord's gonna give her that in a, in a very kind and powerful way. You see, miracles were rare, but Mary trusted in the impossible. She just asked for an explanation into the means of that impossibility. And the answer that God gives her is the same answer that has always been and always will be. And it's the answer that I need to hear today. And it's the answer that you need to hear today. It is the power of Almighty God that does the impossible. It is the power of Almighty God that accomplishes his plans for your life. And when you are faced with an impossible situation, as we're gonna see 
and verse number 37, we serve a God where nothing is impossible with him. Look at verse 35. The angel said to her, answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy child will be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth also has conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. You know, it's one thing to say something's gonna happen. It's another thing to make it happen. And so Gabriel, through the permission of God, I believe is going to reveal to Mary here, well, listen, here's a little bit of a proof. You know your cousin Elizabeth. You know she's, in fact, she's known by the word barren. And God has miraculously opened up her womb and she is now six months with child. And I, and I believe that would have comforted Mary. And we're gonna see she goes and visits Elizabeth. And so we know that that was a, a very important to her heart. But I believe God does more here. You see, again, Mary would have known her history and her lineage. She would have known the, the origin of the Jewish faith. She would have known um, about the story passed down from generations of Abraham and Sarah, wouldn't she? And you remember how Sarah was a barren woman. And for God's purposes and according to God's plan, back in Genesis chapter 18, we see how the Lord comes into Abraham and Sarah's life and makes this promise over Sarah's life that in one year from now, when I come and return and visit you, you will have born a son. And then you guys remember Sarah's response to that was she laughed. She couldn't believe it. And then God asks Abraham this question. He goes, why did Sarah laugh? In chapter 18 and verse 14, God says, is, is anything too hard for me? And I believe that that question is answered here in Luke chapter one and verse 37. Is anything too hard for me? No, because nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing is too hard for God. And Gabriel's reminder of what God had done in the past reassured Mary of his power to keep his word to her. Does God do that for us today? When you're faced with the uh, situation that seems to you to be impossible? Has God given you a record of things that are true? Has God given you some reassurances in the past that you could hold on to? Absolutely he has, both in this world and in this book. You know, I believe that's why the community of faith is so important because if you are walking through something in your life right now, chances are God has orchestrated it so that there is someone who has either gone through that or is uniquely set apart to walk with you through your trial. And I don't know God's purpose in delaying Sarah's birth of Isaac, but I wonder if when God was orchestrating that between Abraham and Sarah, if he didn't have Mary all those years later in mind, she's gonna need something that she can really stand on. And I'm gonna do that right here through Abraham and Sarah. And it teaches us that if you're walking through something today, if God is doing something through you, did you know it's not just for you? But your victories and your struggles are meant 
to be experienced in a community of believers. Nothing is meant to stop with you, but you are to pass on your victories and you are to pass on your failures so that we as a body of Christ can grow together and, and, and have our faith strengthened by one another. Did you know that my faith has been strengthened by your testimony? And I pray that one day those coming after me can look at, at, at my trust of God and our family and our church's trust of God and, and they can say, you know what? I'm just gonna trust too. This leads us into verse number 38, which is just the beautiful posture of Mary to all that she's heard. She's believed. God's given her this explanation, this proof, if you will. And now in verse 38, Mary says to Gabriel, behold, I'm the bond slave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary says, may it be done to me according to your word. Her humble response demonstrates that Mary is willingly submitting to God's unfolding purpose. Listen, church, it's not enough just to hear. You know, James says, be doers of the word, not hearers only. And to be a doer and not just a hearer requires submission to God. It requires, and sometimes this is grand, like here, but sometimes it's in the faintest of moments where you say yes to God and no to your own will. Listen, I can't encourage you enough to humbly submit to the plan that God is working out for you, even through difficult, listen, Mary is opening up herself to a world of hurt. She has to think about Joseph, who's going to think, like we know from Matthew 1, Joseph's gonna think that she had been unfaithful. And she opens herself up to that ridicule, to that criticism, knowing she has done nothing wrong. Why? Because she's willing to submit to the plan of God. People around her and her community are gonna think that she has committed adultery. She's gonna face the stigma of being with child, having not been fully married, but in humble, obedient faith, Mary willingly trusted in God to vindicate her. Listen, when it comes to, to me fighting my battles or God fighting my battles for me, I, I'd just rather let God fight them. I don't have the wisdom. I don't have the strength. And I see Mary doing that here. She's submitting to whatever may come. She goes, let it be done to me according to thy word. I wonder how many of us in the room today would share that mindset. God, this is your will for my life. I'm gonna understand it. It may seem impossible. It may be impossible. But I'm gonna trust in God to do it for me. Through his power, I'm gonna take on the posture of Mary you know, it's a really encouraging verse to me in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 19 where the Bible says, those who are suffering according to the will of God should entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. You know, we can trust our souls to God to fight for us, to vindicate us. To suffer with God is to be glorified with God. In this account here in Luke chapter 1, 
It demonstrates to us that God's promises will be fulfilled. It reveals to us that the sovereign God accomplishes his purposes through his willing and obedient servants, and God is still doing his work today. I hope you came to church today to see that God is still at work in the world today. He's working through people who trust him, who obey his word, and who will humbly submit themselves as servants to his will. I hope you've seen the providence of God at work in your life. Have you? Can you look back and see how God has opened doors for you, closed doors for you? How God has orchestrated it such that certain people have crossed your path and that you have crossed other people's paths for his glory and for his purposes? The providence of God is at work in our church today, in our world today, and in your life today. Furthermore, we are living still in an age of prophecy being fulfilled. When we walked through the book of Revelation with Pastor, we saw that God is at work in the world today and it it will end when Jesus says it's time. And so we are living in the midst of prophecy being fulfilled. We have a part to play. God's church has a part to play and you have a part to play. God has made some amazing promises to us as, as his people, hasn't he? God's made some promises over your life, over this church, And if you need to be reminded of that, go to 2 Peter chapter one, where God promises precious and magnificent promises over his people. But sometimes what happens is that when God promises things over our lives and our current situation doesn't match up to the fulfillment, we can get confused and we can get discouraged and we can get perplexed. And it's in those moments that we must trust in the power of God to accomplish it for us. And listen, if you look back in your life and you see how God has come through for you in mighty power, man, testify to that. Tell folks about that. Tell your church about that. Tell your family about that. Take on the posture of Mary. I am your servant, Lord. Let it be done according to your word. Dear faithful member, what would it look like for you to today maybe for the first time, or maybe one of many times in the past, what would it look like for you today to just say, God, I submit to your plan for my life. I'm done fighting. I'm done holding back my will, even the will of other people. You know, everyone's got a plan for your life. Did you know that? But God's plan is the best. What would it look like for a church of this size, for this congregation, what would it look like for 10 of you to humbly submit to God's will? The world would see his power through you and lives would be changed as they have been. I want us to pray to that end this morning. And if you're a person in the room today, this is the first time you, you, you say, I feel God that's, he's working in my heart to, to submit to his plan for my life and I don't know how. There'll be folks down here, there'll be pastors down here who can help show you from God's word how. But if you feel the call of God on your life this morning, if you feel his promises over your life through his word, well, don't walk out the doors without submitting. This is how we see God do amazing things through his people. Let's pray. Father, I I ask that you would now give us courage and strength to step out because uh, it can be hard God, it can be very, very hard.
But Lord, we trust in your power and we trust in your will and in your word. And I pray, Lord, that through this invitation time, you would get the glory of many sinners and saints submitting to your will and saying yes to you, maybe for the first time or maybe for the hundredth time. But God, help us to do so this morning in a way that is sensitive to your spirit's leading and in a way that you get the glory. We ask this in Christ's holy and precious name.